Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Good morning, City Walk. How are we doing? So, so are the 49ers going to win today? Yeah, I know. I was like, I was real happy that the game's at 3 o'clock. I thought, man, that's great. Going to tear things down, get home, eat a lot of food. My, my normal position for the 49ers games is uh, laying on my father-in-law Steve's couch, and uh, we watch the game together. So this is going to be a good, good day today. Hopefully by tonight, we'll be headed to the Super Bowl, so that'll be fun. You're like, it's not, it shouldn't be that important in church, but I think it is. It's pretty important because uh, it doesn't happen a lot, and so it's going to be a fun day uh, for us, hopefully, uh, if you're a 49er fan, and if you're a Packer fan, I hope it's not a very good day for you, because uh, then that means it's not a good day for the 49ers. I know we have some Chiefs fans, too, and so that, that may end up being where the, what uh, the Super Bowl is, which would be fun. Well, if you keep up with sports at all, and uh, whether you do or not, you probably heard that uh, this past couple weeks hasn't been a really good few weeks for a team called the Houston Astros. Uh, if you keep up with baseball at all, and you're like, no, nah, I haven't heard anything about that. Well, whether you, you keep up with baseball at all uh, or not, the Houston Astros have been a team that over the last three years has been one of the best teams in baseball. Uh, kind of every year, they're, they're always at the top. And in fact, two of the last three years, they've made it all the way to the World Series, which if you're not familiar with baseball, that's, the, that's what every team wants to get to. Uh, and in 2017... Uh, they actually won the World Series. They beat the Dodgers. Uh, and, and so, man, they, they've been a really good team. But what happened was over the past couple weeks, uh, what has come out is that during the 2017 series, it came out that they were stealing the signs of the other team. And so here's basically what that means. They would be able to tell their hitters what pitch was coming before the pitch got there, and they had this elaborate system where they had a camera that would get the, the catcher signal, the catcher gives a signal to the pitcher to tell him what pitch to throw, and they would, before that pitcher got the pitch out of his hand, would relay that message to the hitter, and so, man, these are the best athletes in the world, so, man, when they know that a fastball is coming, even if it's the best pitcher in baseball, when they know a pitch is coming, man, they're, they're pretty good at hitting it. And that's what happened, man. They, they won that World Series. I remember watching that 2017 World Series and just thinking, man, these Astros, man, they just, they can hit the ball like crazy. But not, now it's come out that, man, they could hit the ball like crazy because they knew exactly what pitch was coming. And, and instead of facing their opponent head on and kind of putting forth their best effort, which they were a really good team and, and probably or had a good chance of winning even without cheating, they chose to do what seemed easier and more controllable. 
they chose to steal the sign so they knew what pitch was coming. And, and where we, we would never, and hopefully we would never endorse cheating, or if we were to endorse it, we would definitely not admit that we would endorse it. Probably every single one of us, if we're honest, would have to admit that we are drawn to what is easy and controllable. Yet yeah, we, we would never say, hey, you should cheat to get that, and that we would never tell the Astros, hey, you, that, that's a good idea. But, but if we were to look throughout our life, if we're honest, we're drawn to things that are easy and things that we can control. Are there any control freaks in the house? Got a few. I know some of you. I know you better have your hand up. But, but, but we are. And so because of that, because we are drawn to what's easy and controllable, even if it's not necessarily the best thing or the most healthy thing, that affects our entire life. So, so in our relationships, there's, there's certain conversations that we know would be healthy to have and would help with our relationships that we're just not going to have because they wouldn't be easy and we wouldn't be able to control them. That there's certain things that we're not going to do with our money that we know, man, this would be a good thing to do or this would be a good restraint to put on myself. But because it's not easy, we've just made a decision like we're just never going to restrain ourselves in that area. Maybe in our marriage. Maybe for, for you, you'd say, man, if, if I was more transparent and communication was better in my marriage, I know that would be healthy, but that might, that's not necessarily the easiest thing. It's not necessarily the most controllable thing. So there's just some areas of transparency we're just never going to have in our marriage because I'm not willing to walk that road. Maybe our walk with God. Maybe, maybe you've come to a spot in your life where you've, you've had times in your life where you said, you know what, this is as close as God and I are going to be. Because for me to get closer to God, for me to take another step in my walk with Jesus, it's going to mean it's going to get hard, and it's going to mean I'm not going to be able to control everything like I like to. And so there's just places in my walk with God I'll just never get to. And really what we're saying and what we've decided in our mind is simply this. The reward is not worth the effort. The, the reward is not worth the effort. The, the reward that I would get, the, the thing that would happen is just not worth the time, the effort, the uneasiness, the uncontrollableness that I would have to go through. And, and what we've done over the past few weeks is we've been in a series, and we've been in a series called Chase the Lion, where we've been investigating the idea that on the other side of our comfort zone might just be some of God's best blessings for us. On the other side of what's easy and controllable, on that other side might just be what God's best is for us. In our relationships, in our goals, in our marriage, in our walk with God, there's just a place, maybe just over our comfort zone, that if I was willing to walk into, if I was willing to chase the lion, do what's unnatural, there's some things waiting there for me that God has that are best. And we've been looking throughout Scripture at some of those people, and this is not a new idea. 
In fact, you can go back to the literally the beginning of time and you can look throughout Scripture all the way back to Adam and Eve and, 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 and throughout Scripture you'll see that there was a, a time and a place for a lot of people that they came to a decision. And they were faced with a decision all the way back to Adam and Eve and you can look throughout Scripture and they were faced with a decision and they could go one of two ways. And, and to them it may have looked like, hey, it's easy versus hard, or known versus unknown, my way versus God's way. And what we've seen is, as we've kind of looked at this, is the reason people made the decisions they made wasn't because of their talent, wasn't because of their discipline, wasn't because they were just good people, but the reason people made the decision that they made when they were faced with choices to go towards the known or the unknown, the easy or the hard, it simply comes down to what did they believe about God? And we've seen that. We've seen that, that people in Scripture that seem to move towards things that other people ran away from, they moved into the unknown, they moved into the hard when everybody else was going the other direction. The reason they did that was because they saw their life, their challenges through their belief in God. And so they, because of that, they were willing to move into things that other people weren't willing to move into. Last week, we looked at Hebrews chapter 11. And in Hebrews chapter 11, the, the author of Hebrews basically talks to us about what does belief in God really look like? What is faith? And then what he does is he gives us some real-life examples of, hey, here's what it looks like played out in real life. Here's what a life really looks like that sees everything through the filter of their belief in God. Here's what a life really looks like, and here's why people in the Old Testament that we read about, they, they stepped into things that were like, what are you thinking? Why would you do that? Weren't you afraid? But yet it was natural for them because they saw life through their belief in God. Their deep belief in God. Hebrews 11, it starts like this. We looked at this verse last week. It'll be up on your screen or it's in your app for you. It says this. Now faith, or belief in God, is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. So let's look at that verse again. It says, now faith is the assurance, the, the confidence. Faith is the, the foundation. To, uh, a house has a foundation, and, and that's what faith is to the, to the believer. It's that foundation. It's that confidence. It says, now faith is the assurance or confidence of things hoped for, the conviction or evidence of things not seen. You know this about your life just the way I do. When you're confident, it produces peace and freedom. When you're confident about something, it produces peace, doesn't it? When you're not confident about something, it produces everything but peace. I remember when I was in middle school, and my youth pastor said, Hey, we're going to be taking a trip. Do you want to go on this trip? And on this trip, I lived in Florida. We were going to Tennessee. You're going to get to go whitewater rafting, and you're going to get to go mountain rappelling. thought, absolutely, I want to go on that trip. And so I remember uh, going on that trip. I think I kissed my first girl on that trip. That's a, just a side note. Uh, but, but went on that. So that was 
you know, part of it, and definitely not as good of a kisser as Lori Gledhill, who's now Lori Fincham. But, again, side note, getting way off track here. Uh, but, but I went on this trip, and I can remember, you know, whitewater rafting, that was fun. But, but then I had never done mountain rappelling. And so if you've ever done mountain rappelling, you know there's always a first time. And uh, the first time you go mountain rappelling, at least if you're like me, is a little terrifying. And I remember I went mountain rappelling the first time, and, and uh, that what they did is they kind of had like a, a JV version of mountain rappelling that you did first before you took the bigger step. And I remember going mountain rappelling the first time, and they said, hey, you know, hook you up, and they hook you up. And, and if you're a dude getting hooked up to go mountain rappelling is uncomfortable. Uh, that's the nicest way I can say that. So you're, you're all hooked up, and then you walk up onto the mountain. And I remember walking up to the mountain, and inside I'm a little nervous. But there's girls around. So I'm not gonna I'm gonna pretend like I'm not nervous. And I'm you know, four or five people back in the line, and you know, my friend, you know, goes over and I just lean back and you know, did that, and then the next person and the next person, and you know, then the like twelve-year-old girl that you know weighs like sixty-five pounds, as brave as anything, you know, before me goes over, and I'm like, goodness. And then it's my turn. And I remember, he's like, lean back. I'm like, I am leaning back. Uh, and, and I just remember being so scared the first time. Like, like I know I'm, I mean, I've watched other people do this. I know I'm not going to die, but I think I'm going to die. And, and so the, this idea of leaning back, and you look so awkward. You're hitting your face against the rock in front of you because you're not leaning back. And I just remember at the beginning of this trip being awful at this because I was so afraid. I had no confidence that, man, this thing was going to work out. But then I remember after I got some confidence and did it a few times, did you ever see the movie Cliffhanger with Stallone? I felt like I was Sylvester Stallone in Cliffhanger. I was tearing it up, at least in my mind. Because, man, when you're confident in something, when there's something that you're confident about, it gives you freedom and peace. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, that's what faith is. That, that, that belief in God for the people that he's about to talk about in Hebrews 11, man, this, this faith, this belief in God, it's what actually gave them freedom and peace in their life. He goes on in verse 2. We looked at this verse a little bit last week. It says this, for by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation or their approval from God. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying this belief in God, this faith that these people had was actually what gave them God's approval, their belief in God. And then what he does is, is he skips, he talks about a few of those people and then goes down to verse 6. And verse 6 is probably the, the key verse of the whole passage. Here's what it says. It says this, and without faith which is belief in God, his existence, his promises, without that faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Let me read that again. That, look at that last part. Because that, that last part, for some of you, makes you feel uncomfortable. That, that last phrase, that... that that it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. 
See, some of us are maybe uncomfortable with that last phrase because of a bad church experience. And here's what I mean. Someone may have misrepresented God to you and kind of explained God to you almost like a genie in a bottle. That, that, hey, if you'll, if you'll say the right words to God, if you'll rub the lamp just the right way, then God's going to give you exactly what you want. And, and if he doesn't give you what you want, maybe you didn't have enough faith, maybe you didn't rub the lamp the right way, and they talk, they talk of God almost like this cosmic vending machine that if you put the right money in and push the right button, you'll get everything you need and want and desire. And that's not what the writer of Hebrews is saying. The writer of Hebrews is saying that, you know what, that God is a rewarder of those who seek him, but the rewards are different than maybe what you would expect. See, biblical faith is not selfish or demanding ever. Biblical faith doesn't come to God and say, hey God, I'll make a deal with you. If I do this, then you have to do this. That's not biblical faith. See, biblical faith says this, I believe you are God, your promises are true, your way is best. You are God, your promises are true, and your way is the best way. That's what biblical faith says. And when we choose to see life through this reality, when this is the lens that we see life through, it comes with reward. And here's why, because we serve a God who is good and gracious. We serve a God who, who gives, he gives forgiveness, he gives salvation, he gives relationship, he gives peace, he gives heaven, and the list goes on and on and on. He gives and he gives and he gives, and he's a rewarder of those who seek him, who believe that he is who he says he is, and that he'll do what he says he'll do. And the writer of Hebrews, he makes that clear that this is what faith really is. And then here's what he does. Instead of like getting real philosophical about faith, the writer of Hebrews says, Hey guys, why don't you take a tour with me? Almost like has anybody been to Cooperstown and you've walked through the Hall of Fame, the Baseball Hall of Fame. Maybe you've been to Canton, Ohio, and you've, you've toured the NFL Hall of Fame. And, and the writer of Hebrews, he's just explained what faith is. But now he says, hey, would you take a walk with me as I show you some people that really live this out? Come take a tour with me. He says, hey, here's the first stop. There's, there's this guy by the name of Noah. I want you to understand how this faith and belief in God, how it played out in this guy Noah's life. And it says this in verse 7. It says, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. The writer of Hebrews says, hey, I've just explained faith, but man, that, look at this guy Noah. This guy Noah, God came to Noah and talked to him about something he knew nothing of. Noah may have, at this point when God came to him, may have actually never seen rain. So, so imagine, put yourself in Noah's context. God comes to you and says, hey, hey Noah, I need you to, I'm about to destroy the earth with a flood, which Noah's never seen a flood. 
probably never seen rain. And buddy, I need you to build an ark that's about two-thirds the size of what the Titanic was. Just you and the boys, got a little home project, need you guys to work on for maybe 70 to 100 years. And uh, then when you guys are done, I'm going to save you by this ark. I mean, think about, I mean, we, we read about it, you know, if you grew up in church, you saw it played out like on a flannel graph board or something like that. But, but think about being Noah. Like you've never seen rain, you've never seen a flood, and God comes to you and says, hey, buddy, what are you doing for the next, hey, 75 years? Because I need you to build a boat. Noah had to make a decision. He had to make a decision. Would he believe God and step into something that probably to him seemed impossible? It would be something that he would be ridiculed for every single day for decades? And something that he would see no fruit for literally for 70 to 100 years. Like not like, hey, if you are real faithful with this for two weeks, you're going to see some fruit. No, buddy, if you're faithful with this for 50 years, you won't see any fruit. And Noah chased the lion of his day and built the ark. And he did that because he saw life through his belief in God, and that pressed him to step into what God had asked him to do, even though it made no sense. The writer of Hebrews says, hey, oh, you got Noah, maybe you can pick up a little ark in the, in the uh, little shop at the end of this little tour, and you can remember Noah, but let me get you to the next person. Let me, let me, let me explain to you about this guy named Abraham. And there, there's this guy, Abraham, in verse 8, and it says, by faith Abraham obeyed. When he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going, by faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. So you, you come to this guy Abraham in this little museum and you're, you're looking and you're hearing the story of him. And he says, yeah, this guy Abraham, God came to him. He was successful. Life was good. And God came to him and said, hey, buddy, I need you to move to a new land that you've never been to. You're really not even sure how to get there. I want you to pick up your family and move there. And oh, by the way, you'll never settle in there. You'll live in tents there for your whole life. In fact, you'll live there so long and you'll die there and you'll die there without even getting the promise fulfilled that I'm making to you right now. So you're going to leave your family where you're at. You're going to take your immediate family. You're going to go to this place you've never been to. You're going to basically live as a foreigner your whole life and you're going to die without seeing the fulfillment of what I'm promising to you. You ready to sign up for that, Abraham? And Abraham obeyed. He moved from Haran to Canaan. He traveled to the land that would be promised to his nation, and he lived there his whole life as a foreigner. During his lifetime, Abraham never saw God's promise fulfilled, yet he never retreated. In fact, Abraham died believing God's promise would be fulfilled. It says it at the end of that passage that that Abraham was looking forward to a city 
whose foundations were be built by God. He saw something in the future, and he, he saw his life through his belief in God, and so his belief in God led him to take steps that didn't make sense because his picture was much bigger than what was temporal. Then, then next to Abraham, the guy says, hey, he was actually had a wife named Sarah, and you got to hear about Sarah because Sarah... Her story's crazy too. It says in verse 11, by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age. Yeah, she was 90. So a little bit past the age. Uh, I mean, if we lived to 90, it's like, I don't even know if I want to live to 90, but she's actually having a baby at 90. So she's, she's 90. She's a little past the age. And, and this is how it ends there. Since she considered him faithful who had promised. See, God had promised Abraham and Sarah a son like they're supposed to be the father and mother of a great nation and they're 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 having like the 89th birthday and still no kids and they have come to a spot in their life where they've almost given up and they've kind of tried to do it their own way but then God does what he says and what's interesting is the Bible when it talks about how old Abraham was because he was actually he had he robbed the cradle a little bit he was a hundred so he, he, he robbed the cradle when he married Sarah. It, scriptures literally say this of, of Abraham. He was as good as dead. So 90 and as good as dead, 100. And you're going to have a kid. And, and you're going to go on play dates with all the young, hip moms and dads. And you're going to be like Cain and Walker. And that's going to be your deal. And, and, and what's interesting is because... They believed God. And in fact, it was hard at first. Sarah laughed. She wasn't even sure, but it says that, that, man, after that laughter and after she realized, like, this is what God's promised at the age of 90, she has a baby and she steps into motherhood. What an awesome, awesome story of a lady who just believed God even when it physically looked crazy. Like, this doesn't happen. But because they saw life through their belief in God, they were willing to step into things that other people would never step into and honestly would have been afraid of. And then we come to the last person I want to chat about. And God, that, that these people that were reading this letter would have known really well. His name's Moses. He was kind of one of their heroes. So was Abraham. And in verse 23, as the the writer of Hebrews has talked about faith and he's weaved it into Abraham and Sarah and, and other people's stories. He says, he says, let me tell you about Moses. He says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. When Moses was born, and you, if you grew up in church, you probably know this story. When Moses was born, the, the, his, his nation was a slave of the Egyptians. 
And because his nation was beginning to get stronger than the Egyptian Pharaoh liked, he decided he was going to have all the baby boys killed to kind of try to make sure that this, this Israelite nation never got more powerful than them. And because Moses' parents were people of faith, and, and they basically went against what Pharaoh said, and they, they hid Moses, and they didn't have him killed as a baby. And in a, in a really cool way, in God's sovereign plan and really part of God's unique plan for Moses, Moses was actually adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. And so Moses goes from being this little baby whose life is on the line, who this Pharaoh is trying to have killed, to literally just a few months later, he's adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. And we see that, that Moses, he grows up in the palace. He, he grows up as, as Pharaoh's grandson. He grows up with all the rights and privileges that came with being part of Pharaoh's family. And, and as, as Moses reached adulthood, he was faced with one of those choices. His choice was, hey... I, I can continue on and, and be part of Pharaoh's family and I can have all the rights and privileges and riches and all that goes with that. That's ahead of me. It's, it's there for the taking. Or the, my, his other choice was this. He could live as an Israelite who, who really is who he really is. He's, he's part of Israel. He could go down that path and he could be part of that nation. But yet if he goes down that path, there would be mistreatment. There would be struggle, but it would result in an eternal reward. And Moses had a choice to make. Would he go the route of being part of Pharaoh's family and, and all that would come with that, which was a lot? Or would he decide, you know what, there's something greater and bigger than even this life. And because of that, I'm going to choose to go the route that's harder, the route that, that, that doesn't seem like no one would choose this route. But because of my belief in God, I'm going to step into what's hard because there's something out there much bigger than what I can even see. And, and, and that's what he did. He moved, and you know the story, he, he led the people of Israel out of slavery he led them to the edge of the promised land and he died on a mountain as he watched his people, the Israelites, preparing to go into the promised land. And he never got to go in. But he believed God. And because of his belief in God and his belief that there was a greater reward, he chose the harder route. He chose to chase the lion. He chose to believe God. The writer of Hebrews, in, in verse 32, he says this. He says, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of. I mean, he's basically saying, I can't, I can't take all the time I need to to tell you of all the stories. There, there's so much more. He's, he's laid out Moses, Abraham. He's talked about Joseph. He's talked about Abel. He's talked about Sarah. He's talked about many, many different people. And he's saying, you know what? I don't even have the time. I can't tell you of all the people and all the circumstances that these people that believed God and obeyed him and stepped into things that other people wouldn't. I don't have time to tell you. My hand would get too tired writing it all. I can't tell you it all. But what he does do 
is as he closes up this section, he does write something that's very important that we understand. He says, and he writes it so that we understand that, you know what? The life of faith doesn't always end well, at least on this side of eternity. He says, I I can't tell you about all the stories, can't tell you about all the victories, can't tell you about all the characters in the story, but, but let me tell you this. And he says this in verse 35. He says, some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. We believe that the writer of Hebrews was talking about Isaiah. Isaiah died being put into a hollow log and being cut in half. That's how Isaiah died. He said, some were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins and sheep of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. The, the writer of Hebrews says, man, the story doesn't end well for everybody. Like some people died in horrible ways. They, they went through life and it, the life was really, really tough. But they did it on purpose because there was something out there that was greater and they wanted that reward. And so they were willing to go through craziness because there was something out there. You say, man, why? Why Noah? Why would you face ridicule? Why would you give 70 to 100 years of your life to build a boat when you never saw rain? Abraham, why would you and Sarah leave the comfort of your home to go live in tents in a land? Why would you trust God for a child when you were 90 years old? And you died never seeing the promise fulfilled. Why did you die still believing? Why didn't you renege in the end? Moses, man, come on, why would you turn down the power and prestige and riches and comfort of Egypt so that you could wander in the wilderness with a nation that only complained for 40 years and then never get to go to the promised land yourself? Why would you do that? And I think it it simply comes down to what they believed. Why did we do that? Because we believed God's promises are true and his way is best. Why did we do it? Because we believed the reward is worth the effort. Which leads us to a question. Here's the question. What reward is worth your life? Think about it. If these people were willing to, I mean, some of them, it ended kind of good for them. Some of them, I don't know about you, but getting sawn in two, not a good ending. Why would you do this? Because of what they believed. Because the reward was worth the effort. And no matter where we are on our faith journey, all of us are spending our lives for some reward based on what we believe in. Every one of us has faith in something, and whatever we have faith in is what we're spending our life based on what we have faith in. And so the question, what, what reward is worth our life? 
Like, what reward is worth me spending my life for? Like, what, what a tragedy it would be to get to the end of our life and look up and, re- and realize that reward, the reward I was giving my whole life for was a counterfeit. It wasn't really all it was cracked up to be. It wasn't worth what I thought it was going to be worth. Like, like, what reward is worth my life? And maybe a better question that I believe was on the hearts and minds of these people that we read about is this. What reward is worth your eternity? Because here's what you know and I know this is true whether we like it or not. My life impacts forever as does yours, as did Abraham, Sarah, Moses, and Noah's. What we do in this life matters forever. It matters forever. And so the question really isn't, hey, well, what reward is worth your life? The, the bit better question is, hey, what reward is worth eternity? Because what we're doing in this life, this short 70 to 100 years that we have on this earth, will literally resound in eternity and will affect eternity, will affect forever. And so what am I giving my life for that will resound in eternity? See, the scriptures tell us that there's only two things that last forever. There's two things. The word of God and the souls of man. All this other stuff, forget eternity. It won't even be around probably in 100 years. But, but you know what will be around in 1,000 in years, in 10,000 years, in a, in a trillion years? The word of God and the souls of man. And so when we think about our life, and and what am I spending my life for based on what I believe? Because all of us are. Am I spending my life on things that matter forever? Is, Is my life being spent on something that has to do with what God says and who he cares most about? And that's people. Because that's the only thing that lasts forever. And so this week, as you, as you begin to think through this and as you begin to pray, I hope that you'll pray this simple prayer. And here's the prayer. Would you pray this prayer this week? God, give me the courage and clarity to spend my life on what will matter forever. My grandpa, he's, uh, I was just in Dayton, Ohio with him. And he's, not, he's my last grandparent. He's the last grandparent that I have that's still alive. He's 93, 94 years old. And uh, so he's just recently, in the last few months, uh, gone to live with my mom and dad. And uh, over the past couple weeks, he's actually been in the hospital. And to the point where my mom met with hospice, and they're, you know, he qualifies for hospice, but he started to do a little bit better. So my mom's like, no, we're, we're not going there yet. Let's, let's just let this keep playing out. And if we have another month, year, whatever, we want to let it play out until he, he needs that. And, and when you get all the way to that point in your life, things get real clear. Things get real clear when you're at the end of your life and you're, you're kind of laying there and you know that, hey, the end. And my grandpa, he talks about it. He's like, I'm ready. Let's roll. I'm ready to go. And, and things get clear. But, but it, isn't it true that man, when you're not at that point, which I hope, None of us are at that point for a really long time. Like, doesn't it get fuzzy? Like, don't you find yourself 
maybe like I find myself looking up after a week or two and saying, wow, the things I'm worried about, they won't even matter in a year, let alone eternity. The things I just gave my last week for, it's not going to be that big of a deal. My concern for what that person said about me, who cares? It's not going to matter. But God, help me, clarify for me, convict me, help me to see the things through the fog of life that really matter and matter forever because that's what I want to spend my life on. I hope that we're a gathering, a church, whether you call this church home or maybe you're visiting, I hope that our church never gets involved in things that don't matter. I hope we only give ourselves and our time and our finances for things that will matter forever. Even if, even if we get criticized for what we're not involved in or what we are involved in, I hope that we'll be only involved in things that matter, and that is the Word of God and the souls of men. And that's a really good thing to be focused on because that's what Jesus was focused on. I wrote this in my notes and I'll close with this. People don't chase lions because it's the easiest option, but because it will matter most. Nobody signs up to build an ark because it's easy. Nobody leaves Egypt to go wander in the wilderness because of the bonus that comes with it. Nobody leaves a, a family and a culture to go live somewhere where they've never lived before, to live in a tent as a foreigner all their life and have a kid when they're 100 because of the stock options. Nobody does that. They do those things because they believe in God and because of their belief in God, it moves them supernaturally to do things they wouldn't normally do because they have the heart of God. And God's heart is not usually focused on what's the easiest option. And so next week we're going to close this series and what a, what a special week it's going to be as we celebrate one year as a church. And, and I hope as we, we leave this even this morning and we leave next week, that we will be lion chasers. Not because it's easy, not because it's popular, not because of all the, the, the people that will talk about it. Actually, we might get ridiculed for it. It might be hard, but because it'll matter forever, and that's what we care about. So will you pray this week that simple prayer, God, Give me the courage and clarity to spend my life on what will matter forever. And I'm talking to you whether you're an adult or whether you're a teenager or whether you're a child. Because sometimes we look at that and say, oh, yeah, yeah, when I get older, I will. No, 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 let's do it when we're 13, when we're 18, when we're 30. Let's not wait till we're, oh, yeah, it's, I've done all that stuff. Now I'm ready to do what matters. Let's do what matters now because we don't know how long we have. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for loving us so much that you stepped into what wasn't comfortable. You stepped into what seemed probably impossible from an earthly perspective. You stepped into 
what hurt because of your love for us. And Jesus, I pray that as we seek to be people that give our life for things that you gave your life for, things that matter for eternity, give us clarity. It's so easy, God, for us to just get so mixed up in the fog of this life and all the things that are thrown at us and all the temporal temptations that won't matter in a year, let alone in forever. God, give us clarity as individuals and as a church to be focused on what you're focused on. Because at the end of this thing, Lord, we above all want to just hear from you, well done, good and faithful servant. That's our desire, God. I pray that you would guide us to that end. In Jesus' name, amen.